When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. Welcome back for season 13. My name is Stacy. I'm still Alicia. We're back. Year four. I'm so excited. <laughs> Leaving on the midnight train to Georgia this week. Stay tuned for my story about why we're using that as our song mm-hmm. this week. But holy cats, we have missed you. We have missed you. We hope you've had a great holiday and a new year. We're so delighted to be back with you for season 13. Including some brand new Trashy Divorces. Stacey, who are you bringing us this week? I have a young upstart rebellious politician, Madison Cawthorn, whose entire life is a lie. It was a fascinating kind of story where depositions will get you. Depositions are are tough. Who do you have? Whoa. This week, I'm talking about Farrah Fawcett and Lee Majors, the angel and the $6 million man who were the it couple of the 70s. Mm Mm-hmm. My guidance is, is be careful who you ask to take care of your wife when you go out of town. Words you can live by. Life lessons from us to you. That's it. You learn a lot on trashy divorces. Before we start the episode, let's take out our magic mirror. Lots of smart, smart, trashy cookies joined up over the holidays to get their fair share of trash candy when we were on break. Yep. We are grateful for all of you for joining us at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Thank you to Stacy, Elizabeth F., Fiona, Samantha M., Alexandra C., Robin T., Allison P., Moosecorn, Jennifer R., Rachel, Bree C., Millie S., Jamie J., Susanna, Jazz M., Brandy Blue, Katarina T., Kelly W., and Heather F. Holy cats, thanks for joining our team, Trash Candy, over at Patreon.com. We got some other Patreon news at the back after your story. Stay tuned mm-hmm. for all of that. But if we're going to live in the world of trashy divorces, Stacy, what do we have to do? I think we have to go, go, go. Alicia, today you have the story of a $6 million man and an angel. I do. A tale as old as time. Is the trashiest. (laughs) (laughs) It's the trashy divorce of Farrah Fawcett and Lee Majors. Wow. They were the it couple of what, the 70s? The 1970s. Yeah. 100%. They were like the Brad and Angelina Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. the day. And they know it. And it goes great until it goes badly. But they're the inspiration for our theme song this week, Midnight Train to Georgia. Trash Pandas, if you go to the bit.ly slash trash candy link you're gonna get an episode free all about midnight train to georgia which was written by jim weatherly which was originally called midnight plane to houston provided by farrah fawcett it's really kind of a nice story okay this is the nicer story we're gonna tell but it does go badly i'm gonna set the stage here there's a great line from a vanity fair piece by leslie bennett's Again, all sources that we use are in TrashyDivorces.com, but I think it sets the stage for this story nicely. The truth was that Fawcett had always been more complicated than the cliches. 
the realities of her life far darker than the sunny image she projected. The gap between her public image and private reality was wide. So much truth in those few sentences. Let's get into it. Farrah Lenny Fawcett was born February 2nd, 1947. She's an Aquarius girl, born in Corpus Christi, Texas. She's the second daughter of Pauline and Jim. It wasn't till later. She's born Farrah with an E, F-E-R-R-A-H, but she'll change it to an A a little bit later. Farrah attends a fine arts magnet middle school in Houston, Texas. In high school, she's voted the most beautiful student all four years she's in high school. (laughs) In 1965, Farrah enrolls at the University of Texas at Austin. Her major is microbiology. Wow. Mm -hmm. She joins the Delta 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 sorority. little fun fact here about tri-delts. Neil Armstrong, when he goes to the moon, he takes both his pledge pin to Phi Delta Theta and his first wife, Janet. She was a tri-delt. He takes her pledge pin as well. So the tri-delta pin is on the moon. Interesting. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Little fun Panhellenic fact. All right. Back to Farah because the story is partly about her. She is super interested and very talented in art. She is a sculptress. She sculpts. Her uh, obsession really is nude women. She's a body sculptor. Sorry, that made me laugh. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't take long, though. Most beautiful girl, right? All four years running to change her mind about microbiology. There's a Hollywood publicist. He discovers her, says, you should get out of Texas. You got some real promising prospects over in Hollywood. Farrah moves to Hollywood in 1968 to pursue modeling and acting. Her parents, Pauline and Jim, drive her out there. It's like a family road trip. Good luck, Farrah. We believe in you. You wonder how the parents felt, right? Like, but is there a Hollywood of microbiology we could drive you to instead? (laughs) Well, within two weeks of arriving, Farrah had been offered a modeling contract (laughs) and was steadily doing television commercials and magazine ads. Sure. Okay. Okay. There's one other thing that happens to her within her first two weeks of Hollywood. She just lands. Like, parents drop her off, bunch of boxes. Good luck, kid. There's a big Hollywood star there in Hollywood that happens sometimes. His name is Lee Majors. Mm -hmm. He's born April 24th. He's a Taurus man. And Lee Majors is starring in the Big Valley at the time. And he needs a date for an industry event and goes to his agent. Hey, agent, can you show me the photos of all your new lady clients that you got in this week? Oh, God. Is that really how that's done? Apparently. Ugh. Lee Majors will say he told me to pick the best looking girl. So I did. Any guesses on who that girl was? I'm going to go with Farrah Fawcett. And so it begins. Farrah's 21. Lee's almost 30. And Farrah, not too impressed with Lee. She gets this dinner invitation, which she knows she's only getting because he saw her picture and swiped the right way. And Farrah Fawcett recalls thinking, like, who does he think he is? The date goes badly. Farah, who's not a drinker, will order a scotch and Coke for some reason. Wow. Which is not just FYI, the drink you start out on if you're not a drinker. That's not a beginner drink. Not a beginner drink. 
Well, after the not a beginner drink, amateur girl proceeds to vomit mm-hmm. in the ladies for the rest of the date. Okay. Elise says, I didn't know if she was really sick or if she just didn't like me. <laughs> it sounds like it was both. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next day, he'll send 13 yellow roses to her. Yellow Rosa, Texas. Oh. Okay. Maybe a dozen and one to grow on. 13 yellow roses arrive. The affair is on. Lee thinks it's great that they were the Brad and Angelina of their day. He talks about it, but it didn't work out too good for them either. But the couple does bond. They're really beautiful together, the both of them. And Lee is from Kentucky. He was raised by an aunt and uncle after both of his parents die. Like, it's terrible. It's kind of a tragic childhood. But he's a man and he's athletic and he's a football player before injury sidelines him, which is where he gets into the theater in college. But he's in college to learn how to be a physical education coach. He wants to teach high school PE, which is not what he ends up doing. And probably coach sports. Like, uh, that would be... Exactly. Well, Hollywood gets him. He takes a job as like a parks and rec director, where he, of course, gets discovered. Lee Majors has one early marriage that's over and out inside of three years, 1961 to 1964. Leaving Lee Majors in 1968, hunky bachelor... Looking for a lady, fair is it. Lee will tell the Daily Mail, From the first moment we were together, that was basically it. She never went back to Texas to finish her senior year. Farrah will say when she met Lee, she melted into a thousand pieces. (laughs) I guess microscopes lost their appeal. Yeah, (laughs) microbiology. Not as much fun as this new hunky man. (laughs) So they're coupled up. They're an item. This is 1968, like immediately. So let's talk about career-wise. In 1969, Farrah Fawcett makes a memorable appearance on The Dating Game. In her episode, this is Farrah before she is well before famous, number of years before famous. She's introduced as an accomplished artist and sculptress who hopes to open her own gallery. Dating Game setup. Three bachelors. When it comes time to decide, Farrah chooses bachelor number two. Then chaos ensues when all three bachelors broke into a full-fledged fist fight on the set. Was this aired? It was aired. Okay. But later it was revealed the whole thing was planned. Okay. With the fight being carefully choreographed. It, I, the okay. dating game is the mm-hmm. law and order of California, right? That's where you go to get like a paid gig. Everybody does it. Okay. It was not authentic, but the drama makes for fantastic television, right? And it does provide, I think, a really early example of how Hollywood executives are already setting Farrah up to be the heartthrob that men fight over. It's a persona. Yeah. So Farrah's career is going. She's in love with a sexy actor man. And huzzah, mazel! These two get hitched July 28th, 1973, where Farrah will promptly change her name to Farrah Fawcett hyphenated majors. That same year, Lee Majors is appearing in the big new television program, The Six Million Dollar Man. thought you were going to say he changed his last name to Majors-Fawcett. Now, Farrah is a housewife. Sure, she's modeling. She's got gigs with Ultra Bright and Wella Balsam Shampoo. But every one of Farrah's contracts stipulate that she be home in time to cook dinner. 
for the man that she fondly calls her Big Grump Head. Big Grump Head. I respect putting that in your contract. Well, Pharaoh will eventually appear on Lee Major's show. Mm-hmm. Lee's attempting to help her career, but Farah at this point is pretty committed to doing wifely things. Dinner and laundry and homemaking and all that jazz. But her real big break is going to come along in 1976 with a little show called Charlie's Angels. Her character is Jill Monroe. Even before taking the role, she's like, my contract says I need to leave by seven every night so I can go home and make dinner for my big grump head. But 1976, she can't stop it. It was a hell of a year. It's an enormous year for Mm -hmm. her. It is the year Charlie's Angels airs. It is the year of her famous poster. Whoa. It does not take long before Farrah Fawcett is the breakout star of the hit show. This was not supposed to happen. Hmm. Kate Jackson is supposed to be the breakout star. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Fair is a hit. Leonard Goldberg, who is one of the producers along with Aaron Spelling. This is a Spelling production. But Leonard Goldberg says, I had never seen anyone have an impact like Farrah did. It was like an avalanche. It was instantaneous. Cameron Diaz once said to me, there are two kinds of beautiful girls. The ones you can be friends with and the ones you think will try to steal your boyfriend. Farrah was the first kind. Hmm. But everyone wants her look. Uh, This bit is from Sue Mangers, infamous attached agent to a Dominic Dunn story. Sue Mangers was also the former agent of both Farrah Fawcett and Ryan O'Neill, who's coming up in the story. Sue Mangers says about Farrah, when she walked into the room, she was breathtaking. It was the cleanliness. She had on makeup, but it looked like everything was just natural. She was the most beautiful woman, even in a room full of other beautiful women. And the show is like breakout success. This is what Farrah says. When the show got to be number three, I figured it was our acting. When it got to be number one, I decided it could only be because none of us wears a bra. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about the not wearing a bra thing, because that pinup poster of her in the bathing suit is on every teenage boy's wall in America. It is the best-selling poster of all time. Hmm. Little Nipple does it every time. Okay, this is what Lee Major says to people. I picked out the poster. And they're like, the famous one? And he's like, yeah, the famous one. I picked out the picture. You probably don't know why. Yeah, dude, we know why. It's because of the nipple. (laughs) We know exactly why. Everyone knows why you picked that picture. Anyway, even Farrah's iconic hair is playing a large role in the pop culture of the time as well. So it's frosted and feathered, transforming the beauty goals of women all across the world. Women flock to salons. They just go into the beauty parlor and say, do me a Farrah. It was a phenom- like the Rachel mm-hmm. green haircut of friends yeah. Yeah. 20 years earlier. Do me a Farrah. Yeah. Okay. No, I remember this. I'm certain your mother had a Farrah Fawcett haircut. I know my mom did. I'm. It was sexy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is here, my darlings, where our trouble begins. Some say Farrah's popularity, hair and nipples, were overshadowing her husband's fame and popularity which does not sit well with the ultra-masculine and traditional Lee Majors. Back to Leonard Goldberg, who will explain Lee Majors was a big star. 
and then Farah kind of eclipsed him. I remember Lee saying to me one night, when I come home, when a man comes home from 10 hours of work, his wife is waiting for him. Farah's working 12 or 14 hours a day. I mean, we have certainly told this story before as the partner who wasn't successful suddenly gets successful. The previously successful partner may not like it. But Farrah's like no dummy either. Yeah. She's a busy girl. Maybe too busy. Gotta be a wife. Gotta cook dinner for Big Grump Head. Clearly showing his Big Grump Headness at this point. <laughs> right. But also st- starring on the number one show on television. Mm-hmm. So maybe it all gets to be too much. After one season on Charlie's Angels, Farrah quits. Mm. She's making $5,000 an episode. This is half of what Kate Jackson is making. They really did have Kate Jackson uh-huh. <laughs> set up for success. But the thing that really gets Farah is she's getting 2% of the merchandising sales. And this is the mid-1970s. And Charlie's Angels is an Aaron Spelling production and is merchandised on everything. There are dolls. There are bubblegum cards. There's a board game. Lunch boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Farrah's like, nah, dude, I want 10% for my image on all this crap. You're making a fortune on my face. 2% is not enough. She's not going to take anything less than 10%. So going back to Lee Goldberg, I don't believe Farrah left over 2% of merchandising for Charlie's Angels, but I was never able to figure out why she left, whether it was her manager or her husband or the fact that she wanted to do movies or what. I would say, well, Farrah, if we give you 8%, She would say, well, no, I don't know. I got her a fantastic movie deal to do foul play with Chevy Chase, but somehow even that wasn't enough. I said, Farrah, if you walk away from Charlie's Angels, no one's going to hire you because they'll be afraid of being sued by us. No matter what I asked her, she said, I don't know. Bowing out after that year is a blow to her career. Leonard Goldberg will continue. We made her a star and she walks out after one year. We had a valid contract with her and no major studio or production company would hire her. Producers don't like people who walk out on contracts. Fair enough. Fair is going to begin a movie career, but hey, none of that is what you came to hear about because here comes the trash. Ta-da! Okay, the demands from both of the careers, Lee's and Farrah's, as well as her exploding fame, causes major issues for the Fawcett Majors. They seem to work through it for a while. But then Lee starts traveling a lot for filming. And Farah finds herself lonely, maybe in need of some companionship. Uh-oh. They're separated so often, in fact, that Lee Majors will tell People Magazine that they were only together for two weeks in one of these years. Like, that's filming. It's mm-hmm. busy. Yeah. So career pressures... Certainly, take a toll on a marriage. But also Lee, hypermasculine, ubermasculine, has lots of men friends, plays on a lot of athletic teams, cares about his lady, doesn't want her to be crying about her big grump head while I'm gone. Uh-oh. So Lee Majors is going to ask one of the dudes he plays racquetball with, who's a nice guy, you know, he's a good racquetball player. I'll ask my friend. To keep Farrah company, maybe take her out to dinner, check in on her while I'm out of town filming my next movie. I sure would hate for her to be alone. All I'm hearing is that mistakes were made. (laughs) 
So Lee picks up the phone. Sure. Calls his buddy Ryan O'Neill. Uh-oh. Hey, buddy, I'm not calling for a racquetball game. I'm calling to see if you want to maybe take fair to dinner while I'm out of town for the next year. How does it go? Well, why any thinking person would trust Ryan O'Neill, renowned <laughs> ladies man? I mean, he's been with Diana Ross, Barbara Streisand, Bianca Jagger. Like, this is just a few. He's not, not notorious. Okay, he's bad. <laughs> this is just Lee Majors. This is simply a terrible, terrible, irrational idea. This is bad. This is the worst idea you've ever come up with. Big grump head. On their first date, Farah and Ryan kiss until their lips are bloody. I feel like Ryan maybe needs to shave a little better. By the end of their second date, Fawcett's marriage is done. Ryan O'Neill says, we've been lovers ever since. Even when we were mad at each other, we spoke every day. Okay, that's the first layer of trash. So Lee, Majors, and Farrah Fawcett separate in 1979. There's a piece from People Magazine that I'm going to excerpt from here a bit, written by Sue Riley. This is from August of 1979, but it is going back to that beginning sentence. Far more complicated. An affair with Ryan O'Neill is fairly straightforward, but we do a lot of words here to get to some kind of point. All right, again, Sue Riley from People Magazine, August of 1979. It was at the beginning of the national tour for her new movie, Sunburn, that the new Just Plain Farrah Fawcett went bravely and painfully public with the announcement of her separation. At 32, Farrah, sometimes giddily and confidently, but often tearfully, was going it alone. After months of denials, she suddenly declared the breakup of Hollywood's bionic couple. After 11 years, she had shorn Lee Majors, 39, from her life as well as her name. Farrah's going to move out of the French provincial mansion in Bel Air. She'll explain, I wanted to give both of us time to try to adjust to what has happened. I don't know if we'll ever get back together again, and that scares me. I feel so confused. She'll go on with a more heartfelt explanation. When Lee married me, he married a very compliant person who just wanted to cook his meals, clean his house, and be dependent. I still like to cook his meals and clean his house, but I'm not dependent anymore. I feel bad for Lee. I care about him so much, and he is trying to be understanding and protecting. Okay, August of 79, because here's what happens. After they put out their separation statement, a stoic majors flew to Atlanta for a one-day reunion mid-tour. As he touched down, Farrah grew yet more anxious. Lee, clutching a bottle of champagne and a single yellow rose, whisked her off to dinner at the home of Rankin Smith. He's the owner of the Atlanta Falcons football team, and their investment partner in a local sports complex. The Fawcett Majors had only been together four weeks in the past 18 months. Despite their estrangement, Lee escorted Farah via her private passkey elevator to her Hyatt Regency Tower Suite and stayed the night. Lee will declare later, I love Farah and I always will. There's nothing I would like better than for us to work on our problems. 
Farah, on another leg of the publicity trip, this time in New York, says, I'm so uncertain, but I feel good and honest about myself. Just go on a little bit here about the lawsuit and how that changes her, what she could, the merchandising, the leaving, the not getting the role in Foul Play with Chevy Chase, but a new faucet emerges from the ordeal. This is where I think it's key. I was brought up to be a nice, quiet, polite person, and I've always had a hard time being forceful. My natural inclination is to defer to others, particularly men. So I was not concentrating on women's liberation, and people have tried to make me feel very guilty about it, especially the sex symbol things. What's funny is that I have become a different person. You can't survive that kind of crushing attack and still be an innocent. I had to grow up, and I did. I started to rely less on Lee and my other advisors. I began to think about what I wanted and needed for myself. That meant saying an occasional discouraging word, and giving up the continual smile. Sometimes it even surprised me. Now, this is the crux, because it does cause trauma. Now we're in the prospect of divorce, right? And she's a lapsed Catholic. She'll say, Lee thinks it's because I don't need him as much anymore that I don't want him, but that isn't true. Our relationship has got to be different because I am different, but it's so hard for him to understand. I'm not sure I do myself. In some ways, I'm much happier than I used to be when all I ever thought about was pleasing everyone else. I came dead last. So this part I just is fascinating. The marriage faltered because of that sloughing off of total womanhood, Farah insists, not taking on a different man. Now, she's already hot and heavy with Ryan O'Neill at this point, but supposedly the affair she's having is with the son of Dick Van Patten, whose name is Vince. He's like a tennis pro. She's like, that's not true. Vince and his parents are some of my best friends. These stories are embarrassing. It's not true at all. By summer 79, she's got a new direction. She says the last four years have been filled with so much pain, so much hurt. There were days where only my discipline got me through. I don't drink, use drugs, or depend on any kind of crutch. I've just got me. And sometimes with all the negative energy coming toward me, I want to rent a billboard and say, hey, listen, folks, I'm not such a bad person. I'm getting where I want to go. I'm determined to survive. I love her. Mm -hmm. Fair's also determined to carry on her hot and heavy affair with Ryan O'Neill too, which she will in all of the... This article doesn't mention it at all. This is, oh, maybe they're still going to get together. Mm-hmm. Farah, Farah is building a, a new individual resolve. This is what's taking over the this is late 70s. Mm-hmm. I am woman, hear me roar, Anjali, right? Okay. Lee and Farah do remain separated still after this. They separate in 1979. The divorce is final in 1982. Now, Lee Majors is going to marry again in the 80s to a Playboy model. This one doesn't last terribly long, but apparently the fourth time is the charm for Lee Majors. He and his current wife have been happily married since 2002. Oh, that's great. Now, this is all very touching, this next bit. Lee and Farah do not talk after their divorce for decades, okay? Not until Farah's diagnosis with cancer. When that news is released in 2006... Lee Majors begins calling Farah's friends. 
people that they know together just for updates on her condition. He does this for two and a half years. He doesn't want her to know, but he's like checking in on her every day. It's all very indirect. A source will tell Us Weekly. He didn't feel like he could reach out to her himself. It had just been too long, but he still cared about her deeply. He would send funny messages to her through friends, and she would do the same. It was very sweet. Goes on like this for two and a half years, until 2009, when on her birthday in 2009, February 2nd, they speak for the first time in 23 years. Wow. They spend a little less than an hour on the phone, get a little closure, there's laughter, there's tears. Farah will pass away in June of 2009, just a few months after that call. I don't know how many trash cans these two get, but they all have to be home to cook dinner every night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about knowing yourself and being able to define what you want and need in a relationship. It seems like Lee Majors did it. Farrah Fawcett's relationship with Ryan O'Neill was the end of her marriage to Lee Majors. They famously go on to have a tumultuous and Mm -hmm. passionate relationship for the next 30 years until her death in 2009. And that tumultuous relationship is what we're going to talk about on Trashy Breakups this Wednesday when we get into that love affair and the terrible choices of Farrah Fawcett and Ryan O'Neill. So terrible. Yeah, we covered uh, Tatum O'Neill and John McEnroe a while back. Mm -hmm. No, we're getting into Ryan. We're Mm -hmm. getting into Farrah. I was blown away by what I learned about Ryan O'Neill through his daughter's telling. Um, so this, it should be good. I wanted to start with the less trashy divorce yes. before we got to the trashy breakup. Yeah, the it couple of the 70s, for sure. We're going to come back after break and you're going to bring us the not it <laughs> the, couple the of not, the moment the not The not it couple of today. Fantastic. We'll see you on the flip. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, but that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Dis and Tell, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disentel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Hey, Trash Panda Nation, let's everyone just take a minute, give yourselves credit for getting to today, and now we cue Sir Elton John. I'm still standing. Would you like to say that you are standing better than I ever did about your personal finances? 
Our friends at the Oak Tree Group are ready and willing to help you. The mission of this all-female firm is to guide you through all phases of your financial journey using an intuitive and holistic approach. Best of all, Oak Tree Group is offering our Trashy Divorces listeners a free one-hour consultation with no obligation to talk about your financial concerns. Give the Oak Tree Group a call today at 770-319-1700 to set up your appointment. Again, that number is 770-319-1700. And you can always visit www.theoaktreegroup.net for more information. So Stacey, you're bringing us a ripped from the headlines. Trashy divorce this week. Yeah, this is one I, I definitely cracked my knuckles when I saw this was happening a couple of weeks ago on the Twitter engine. Yeah, this is your trash candy for sure. It really, really is. Everyone, hello. Thank you for joining us for season 13. Normally, we would wait to cover a divorce until it's pretty advanced and there's some stuff to talk about or, you know, completed. But when news broke that viral himbo congressman Madison Cawthorn, the youngest member of our illustrious House of Representatives, was splitting from his Instagram influencer wife, Christina Bayard-Dell, after a whirlwind eight-month-long marriage. I mean, Mads, why you gotta throw catnip at me like this? It really, it's your, I, I heard, oh I heard a definitive sound from your office. Oh, it's so good. It's not, I mean, whatever, it's... I just love these stories. Anyway. In the trashy kind of way. Well, the idea of a flamboyant, fabulous bomb thrower going through some things is its own kind of delight. The story got weirder immediately after the pair announced the split when a 2020 interview that Mads had done with the Daily Caller resurfaced on social media, in which Mads explained how he and Christina met. And friends, it is a weird story. So it's a good meet cute then. It's a meet something. <laughs> So we're going to talk about David Madison Cawthorn, currently the representative for North Carolina's 11th district and the only member of Congress to have been born in the 1990s. Pete Davidson, of course, is the first Saturday Night Live cast member born in the 90s. These 90s, 90s kids. kids. Then we're going to get into what we know about the incredibly true story of two digital natives in love. Go, go, go. Mads was born August 1st, 1995. Oh, uh, Leo, man. Is it Leo season mm-hmm. again? It's always Leo okay. season, babe. In Asheville, North Carolina, great city, better than him, and raised in a religious homeschooling family. His dad is a financial advisor at one of the major national firms, so Mads and his older brother had a comfortable, privileged, and insular childhood. He said as much, describing, you know, that his childhood was basically perfect, right up until tragedy struck when he was 18, which we will also get to. Homeschooling is core to his political biography, by the way. In November of 2021, two solid years into a pandemic, Mads told an interviewer, I've got a plan, save America. And it includes doubling the homeschooling population in America by 2030. Ah. So, hey, parents, how's that sound to you? Two years into all of this homeschooling, homeschooling gonna, gonna fly, is that good? I'm not a parent. I shall reserve comment. He went on to say of homeschoolers, quote, we were born for such a time as this. I believe we were set aside from the public school indoctrination that a lot of people face. So we can say, hey, just so you guys know, tyranny is not normal. And Mads, I used to get in so much trouble in public schools when I would tell that to my teachers or the principal. So 
I guess I can't really argue. <laughs> Tyranny is not normal. <laughs> Whether you're homeschooled or in public school. I mean... Wow. <laughs> says the guy who was never forced to go to school. We're going to jump ahead to 2013-2014 when Madison Cawthorn was some form of emerging adult and also well-connected in his community. In December 2013, Cawthorn's local congressman, who happened to be a family friend, of course, a little guy named Representative Mark Meadows. Oh, oh, really? Yep. Uh, he, of course, went on to be Trump's chief of staff there at the end. Nominated young Mads for a spot at the U.S. Naval Academy. Mads was rejected by the Academy, and whether the rejection prompted his spring break getaway to Florida or was just coincidental to it, what happened next would give young Mads ample opportunity to gloss over the fact that it was the Naval Academy, not fate, that kept him from military greatness. Tragically, in April 2014, while returning from this Florida trip, 18-year-old Madison was sleeping in the passenger seat with his feet up on the dashboard while his 17-year-old friend Brad Ledford drove. Brad dozed off. The car crashed into a concrete construction barrier mm. at cruising speeds. And suddenly there were flames everywhere. Mads was unconscious, badly, badly injured, and the doors were jammed. I'm pretty sure Brad punched out a window in the like SUV crossover, whatever, escaped, and then came, you know, pulled Madison out behind him. A bystander appeared and helped get everyone to safety. Holy cats. Madison Cawthorn suffered genuinely terrible injuries that would require months in the hospital, multiple surgeries, and leave him largely dependent on a wheelchair for mobility. It also spawned multiple lawsuits, at least one big insurance settlement. Mads has received $3 million so far, but he is still suing for $30 million. Oh. Hey, aim high. Uh, wow. And a whole lot of very public lies meant to pad his biography. In 2017, during a brief stint as a D student at Virginia's private Christian Patrick Henry College, which is known for securing federal government jobs for homeschool kids, Mad spoke at chapel, and the story turned into this, according to Michael Cranish at the Washington Post. Quote, Cawthorn said, a close friend had crashed the car in which he was a passenger and fled the scene, leaving him to die, quote, in a fiery tomb. It is not what happened. Cranish continues, Cawthorn was declared dead, he said in the 2017 speech at Patrick Henry College. He said he told doctors that he expected to recover and that he would, quote, be at the Naval Academy by Christmas. Like, oh. just loop-de-loop -loop of bullshit. Uh, we'll have the link. There's a recording of it online because people are just like, how, how is he such a brazen liar? Okay. Okay. Now let's let's balance this out for just a moment. Okay. Having been in a yes. very serious car accident. Yes, you were. Yes. In my twenties, mm -hmm. being in the hospital for months, learning how to like a broken. Like, it was tough. I get that there is a certain part of the mystique that you build up as you are living in a therapy Absolutely. ward. Like you're you you do have to have that resilience and that sure. confidence. Trauma responses. Uh, absolutely. I will say that according to the Washington Post article that I was quoting from, Madison and Brad Ledford have repaired their friendship. Okay. I mean, there, there's a certain legend that gets built up about an accident and resolve that you need to have to keep yourself just going because your entire life radically shifts. Sure. But you don't lie about it. It's 
kind of what he does, though. Please um, continue. We know the real story because in all of this litigation, Mads has had to tell the truth or risk perjury. Oh, well. So we know that he was asleep when the car hit the barriers and was unconscious after that. So his harrowing account of flames licking up his legs and the cowardly abandonment by his friend are 100% fabrications. It's always the depositions that get you. It's the depots that get you. <laughs> Brad escaped the burning car and immediately began extracting his badly injured friend with the help of a random stranger who saw the accident and immediately came to render aid. This Sounds is a, like that was your lucky day, man. This is a story yeah. about people doing the right thing Wow, under very difficult circumstances. But hey, every hero needs a villain, right? So your buddy Brad is <laughs> your Darth Vader now, Luke. Speaking of villains, though, a number of women, both from Patrick Henry College and from his local homeschooling network, have described Madison Cawthorn as a sexual predator. No. Because of their ages, late teens, and their conservative religious upbringing, these women tended to blame themselves for Madison's extremely strong come-ons. He would convince women to go on what he called fun drives. Which would land which are bed are not very fun at all. Doesn't sound like it. He yeah, they would end up in some remote, isolated spot, and then he would make things weird. So anyway, his time at Patrick Henry was just that one fall semester of 2016, where he performed poorly, and he says, for whatever his word is worth, that you know he suffered brain injuries in the accident he experiences chronic pain and it just made it difficult to study and to absorb information he has since become an advocate for dropping out of college oh telling wait we're going to have the whole world be homeschooled and then drop out of college telling okay. young conservatives at a december event sponsored by turning point usa quote if you're not becoming an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer i highly encourage you to drop out it's a scam but it's complicated, you see, because in those depositions, he has also claimed that he was admitted to Princeton and an online Harvard program, but then later was forced to correct the record since neither of those things were true. Well, that's so, hard to do when you're at the U.S. Naval Academy. <laughs> that's a lot of matriculation, man. He definitely understands the status value of education. He, I, it's, he sounds like a dude who just likes to say bullshit and nobody's going to catch him on it because of who he thinks he is. In the same speech, he also encouraged <laughs> conference attendees to get married young, have as many kids as possible, have a great job, and be super successful. Sounds great, Mads. I can't. Sounds good. So what did he do in his post-drop-out-of-college phase? It seems like he was leaning toward becoming an Instagram personality, why not, by pretending to train for the Paralympic Games. What? <laughs> I mean, he seems to have actually been training and documenting it on Instagram, but he never engaged with any of the processes to become a Paralympic competitor, like joining a team or competing in qualifying events or even networking within the Paralympic athletics community. Notably, Patrick Henry College doesn't even have a disabled sports program, which is the common feeder channel for Paralympic athletes, as you would imagine. The International Paralympic Committee maintains a registry of 4,000 Paralympic athletes from around the world. MADS is not on it, has never been. So, not even a dusty application sits no, somewhere in the back of the room? Nothing. Okay. Sarah, Sarah Luterman reporting for The Nation 
looked into this part of his biography and spoke to actual Paralympic athletes, and also seems to not be quite sure what exactly Madge was up to with all this. From the story, she quotes uh, Team USA alum Brian Seaman admitted a little sheepishly that he and other elite athletes were aware of Cawthorn long before he ran for office. In fact, Cawthorn's Instagram feed was a bit of a running joke. Quote, my teammates and I would share whatever posts Cawthorn put up and be like, look at what batshit thing he said about the Paralympics this week. (laughs) The claims he was making were just so absurd, you have to find some humor in it. So it's not really clear why Mads was play-acting elite athletics training, because he doesn't even seem to have monetized his Instagram account, but maybe that was the long-term goal. Unlike the CrossFit athlete who would become his wife and soon-to-be ex-wife, Christine Bayardell. So let's talk about how these two kids met. According to that 2020 Daily Caller video interview, Matt says that at some point ahead of a big surgery, after the accident, he and his bros took a trip to Sweden and Norway. Sure. Mads is exceptionally well-traveled, by the way, like his Instagram feed. He's Bahamas, Mexico, Sweden, Switzerland. Like he, he, he's really well-traveled for... Um, someone so narrow Someone so... Interesting. Yeah. While there, in Sweden and Norway, he claims that his, he and his boys decided to hop a boat and head on into St. Petersburg, Russia to do some gambling at a casino there. How long of a boat ride is that? I have seen various thoughts on the internet. 30-hour ferry ride from Helsinki to... Sure. I don't know. It's also possible that they were in Finland, though, which shares a border with... Like, I don't know. Okay. It's, we're talking about Mads. Could, could be anything. Allegedly. Allegedly. So they're just, you know, wild and crazy guy stuff. So at the casino, he meets a U.S. Army captain who is also, for some reason, in St. Petersburg, Russia, gambling. Anyway, he meets a U.S. Army captain named Todd, as you do, from Miami. (laughs) That's his real name, I'm certain. (laughs) Sure. Todd. Todd from Miami, and they kept in touch. Not Steve, Captain Todd. Todd. Captain Todd from Miami. (laughs) Mads was in Miami sometime later for work, and Todd, Captain Todd, texts him to ask if he would like to compete in a CrossFit competition. Mads is like, yo, Todd, I don't know if you noticed, but I am in a wheelchair. And Todd was like, that's cool, just come do the pull-up section. So always in for whatever, Mads is like, cool, okay. So he shows up and there is no CrossFit competition. In Mads' own words, it was a sham. Todd just wanted to put Mads in the same room with Christina, who at the end of 2019 became his fiance. So not at all sketchy. Nothing weird about that story at all. You're right. That's a meet something. Something. I don't know if it's a meet cute. That's a meet Captain Todd. I Truly do not know what to make of that story, even a little bit. Okay. Christina is a Florida girl through and through. She has been documenting her life and CrossFit journey on Instagram for years. She's pretty elite in, like, she... CrossFit circles? Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, her Instagram feed is full of, you know, her in workout clothes and swimsuits, and it is about what you would expect. There's a bunch of affiliate codes in the profile because she is an actual influencer who presumably makes a little bit of money from it. Mad says that the idea of running for Congress came about because as he and Christina were talking about the world that all of their future babies would inherit. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. They decided that he should play a role in shaping it. 
particularly when Mads' congressman Mark Meadows resigned his seat to take a job in the White House in December of 2019. Oh, God. Meadows' announcement came two days before the candidate filing deadline, and that timing was like viewed as a way to try to keep the field clear for his preferred successor, who is not named Madison Cawthorn. But, you know, again, they're family friends, and so Mads had some heads up ahead of time that this was going to happen. I think um, Mads' mom and Mark's wife are pretty good friends. Anyway, so at the age of 24, Madison Cawthorn pitches himself as a real estate investor and motivational speaker and launched himself a winning congressional campaign, reusing a lot of that footage of his fake training for the Paralympic Games and telling the powerful but untrue story of his dreams of the U.S. Naval Academy being dashed by a tragic car accident. I mean, it's a great biography. It's lies, it's but it's not. a hell of a story. It's invented, but whew. He's definitely a rock star on the new right, where the main goal is to, you know, get attention, and the method to do it is irrelevant. As Steve Bannon put it, the point is to, quote, flood the zone with shit which is pretty much what our politics are turning into. So the more outrageous and over-the-top you can be, the better. In Congress, Mads voted against certifying the 2020 election results. Yes, the election that put him in Congress. That is a weird flex, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's a little incongruent in yeah. my brain that we want to overturn the election that Flood got the zone me with shit. to my desk. Flood the zone with shit. Okay, continue. <laughs> All right, so voted against certifying the 2020 election results, tried to bring a gun onto a plane, said that COVID vaccination would lead to confiscation of guns and Bibles, called on mothers to raise their sons to be monsters. And listeners, please do not do that. I don't know what that means. He's got a gender hang up. And he thinks that I think he used the term demasculinate or something. He's But yeah, he thinks that uh, basically men today are a bunch of sissies, except for him. Okay. And um, moms need to raise their sons to be monsters. Cool dude. Cool dude. Cool dude. Yep. He offered Kyle Rittenhouse an internship, quite famously. He told a person with a hidden camera that, you know, while he would dread taking up arms against his fellow citizens in the event that his party lost another election, eh, he'd feel real bad about doing that. So Gotta do what you gotta do, man. Yep. So apparently the spotlight burned too brightly for his wife. The couple had married legally in December 2020 and then had a big religious ceremony and party in October 2021, which actually looked quite fun. There's video on the internet. It's easy to mock him, but again... The charming part was the mother-son dance. That was adorable. Yeah, they pulled basically a giant cardboard cutout of the front of a car and put it like in front of Mad, so they could do a dance while he was seated in his wheelchair. It was actually, I it's was like- Very clever, very well done. That is a terrific accommodation, great photo setup, like nicely done. Anyway, so they had this big party on the anniversary of his accident. Oh, that's a good day. Mm-hmm. That's a good to day to remember something nice for re- a terrible day. I like re- that. Rewrite the story that he's already rewritten repeatedly, so why not? Uh, On December 22nd, 2021, with the holidays fast approaching just a couple weeks ago, Mads' comms director, a guy named Luke Ball, you know, gets a lot of traction in that office, (laughs) published a message on Twitter from the congressman, quote, when Christina and I were engaged, I was not a member of Congress. 
I felt called to serve, and we both agreed that I should run. Our victory was unprecedented, but overnight our lives changed. That change has been both hectic and difficult. It's neither the pace nor the lifestyle we had planned for. From the outset, we committed to make things work, to fight for our marriage, and seek counsel for balancing the enormity of such a transition in life. Together, we realized that balance was not attainable. And that we had irreconcilable differences between us. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't believe that Madison Cawthorn wrote this even a little bit. Anyway, so they ask for privacy, which is why we're talking about it on our podcast. Naturally. Christina had her own statement, definitely, oh, definitely okay. not also written by Luke Paul, that said, Madison is amazing. We've had an incredible <laughs> journey together. In the eight months we've known each other. Oh, Our marriage, God. like every marriage, has had its difficulties. <laughs> not even lasted. You haven't even gotten your sweaters out together. You haven't unpacked your winter clothes. The lifestyle shift into public life has been strenuous, and many aspects of the transition have been unexpected. I want to live in the world he creates. I just don't want to be married to someone changing the world. Have you written the thank you notes from your wedding yet? Christina, if he ran the world, your Instagram account would be considered pornography. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, no, you don't want to live in the world he creates. Well, we have agreed to be apart now. We still have a great friendship, and there's no ill will. Madison is a fighter. He will help save this country from people like you, Christina. He will make you... Never mind. It's just awkward. It's just odd. So here we are. Mr. Mary Young and Have Lots of Babies is finding life and love to be more complicated than anticipated. But do not worry. Oh, I wasn't. <laughs> a serial liar will always come out on top, at least in their own telling of the yeah. story. Wow. So I'm... Not sure how many trash cans to give to Mads because it just seems endless, but I'm going to go with 500,000, which I believe is the amount of like last minute cash drop that out of state, it was a Georgia based pack dumped into his race to, into his primary race to um, ensure that he could bring his crankish self to the Congress. Are they all on the field of the U.S. Naval Academy lawn? <laughs> Yes, where he is filming himself in a racing wheelchair, even though he has never so much as emailed another Paralympic athlete to find out what to, all that's about. Stacy, that was a complicated and complex trashy tale. Thank you. Yeah, I know, you know, we have listeners who don't love it when we dwell on politicians, but it's such a weird... It's a weird story. It's a weird story. He's a weird guy. I don't know what to make of this turn in our politics, but I don't think it's good. <laughs> Wowza. We are kicking off season 13 with a start. Well done. Hey, thanks. Um, and thank you for returning for yet another season of Trash Candy. Holy cats. We're so excited that you're here. We can't wait. We're going to have a lot of fun this season. Before we close out for today, I got to do a few fun what else is happening at TDHQ drops? Patreon this week, all the regular good stuff, dumpster dive, nightcap chat, we're doing salon as well, but we're starting a new series on spiderwebs this month, Trashy Romanovs. Nice. You went through the Bonapartes, mm -hmm. I'm going to try to compete mm -hmm. this month with the Romanovs. We'll see how it goes. Spotlighting Europe's royal houses. Also, if you need more... TDHQ stuff between now and Wednesday when I come back for Trashy Breakups with Farah and Ryan O'Neill. 
We've got two things, done and done, my little true crime high mm-hmm. society podcast. We have a whole new arc that begins tomorrow and we're getting into the Woodward case. This is about the murder of a son of New York high society by his gold digging wife, Anne, in 1955. The facts of the case and the fiction of Dominic Dunn's 1985 Romana Clay, the two Mrs. Grenvilles. Also, for you trash pandas that might need to clean out your ears after this episode and before Wednesday, I can't recommend enough to tune into Love Letters 2. It is our newest podcast from us. This month in January, it's all about first times. So this past week, we did an episode on amusement parks, Ian Fleming and Casino Royale, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Madam C.J. Walker, and the television show I Love Lucy. All the first times with those. I submitted one. We'll see if it ends up in the feed. Oh, I think yours is going in this week. Anyway, Love Letters 2, check it out free on your regular podcast player if you need a 10 minutes of delightful in your day. Always something going on over here. We love y'all. Thanks for tuning in and listening. That's season 13. Blast off. (laughs) We'll see you back on Wednesday, if not before on Done and Done, Love Letters 2, or Patreon. Mm -hmm. Y'all go have an amazing week. Keep the hands clean. Oh, keep those hearts trashy. Big love, y'all. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.